0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 390. Today is Sunday the 27th of September 2020. My name is Minter Dahl and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with my friend Greg Verdino. Greg's a business futurist and digital transformation expert. He's also a keynote speaker, advisor, and author who just released his latest book, never normal, uncommon ideas for leaders who won't settle for the status quo. In this conversation with Greg, we discussed what it takes to navigate these treacherously changing times, the concept of ZEG or the day after tomorrow, how to effectively be innovative, and much more around his new book, a most stimulating chat. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and review and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show. Greg Verdino, welcome back to the Minter Dialogue. How have you been, bud?
1: Well, how has everybody been, Minter, right? It's good to be speaking <laughs> with you again, though. It's uh, crazy, busy, um, but, uh, but surviving.
0: You would, you would somehow imagine that people who are digital... Are more acclimated and ready for everything that's going on. Do you think that's true?
1: I mean, I would think so from a personal level. I mean, you know, you know. I mean, not your listeners probably wouldn't, but you know that I've been working remote, um, either fully remote or partially remote, now for at least a decade. Um, so. On the one hand, being able to make the shift to kind of forced remote (laughs) from, from, you know, kind of voluntary remote um, from a technological standpoint was, you know, very simple and seamless. I think that having said that, though now working with clients or other colleagues who have never done it before um, has been an interesting um, sort of eye-opener. And now, of course, we also have the challenge of a five-year-old and 16-year-old running around the house, you know, through every single workday. So it's not without its challenges and the same kind of challenges everybody else has been dealing with. But technologically, those of us who are quote-unquote more digital, I think, did have it easier. And I've even seen from an organizational standpoint, data and if not data, certainly punditry (laughs) um, about how the organizations, the organizations, companies who have been more digital up to this point, the ones who had already migrated to cloud, for example, um, rather than those who were resisting cloud, um, had a much easier time at making the transition as well.
0: Netflixes of the world,
1: Greg, yeah, or even a, or even a you know a traditional organization with a call center operating in the cloud versus on you know desktop apps or whatever.
0: Exactly. So tell us, Greg, in your own words, who are you? For those who don't know, who is Greg Verdino?
1: Oh geez. Um a um a repscallion. Um you know I was I, I had to I had to do the sort of who are you on a recent uh, <laughs> another podcast recently. Um and you know, kind of a, I, what I kinda landed on was that I've spent most of my career Either being the business guy in a technology company or the technology or the kind of the guy who understood technology inside a business, um, not the technologist but the person who could translate between those two worlds so you know today you know a lot of my work obviously is around helping organizations think through their digital strategy, their transformation strategy, how they can adapt more effectively and efficiently in this new world that everybody is, is struggling or grappling to, to, to survive, if not thrive in, Um, you know, and uh, spend my time advising and thinking and writing and speaking and doing things like this. And
0: whenever you can. So Greg, you also, during the this uh, peculiar year that we've been living, managed to squeak out a book, the Never Normal. Congratulations for that, Greg. Thank you, uh, sir. I, I get in. I want to get into it, of course, in depth because this is the the reason I wanted to have you on the show. But one of the things I wanted to say first of all is that I really I love the way your humor comes through your writing, the Greg Verdino, you know. Uh, You feel the Greg Verdino magic dust in the way you write. The second thing, which I I think should be a reason why many people would like to read it, is that it should be a great inspiration for a lot of people who have been sitting in there and thinking, oh, gosh, I'd love to write a book, but I never have. What you have shown, as far as I'm concerned, is the ease with which one can come up with a really interesting book. In your own words, why did you write it?
1: um so i mean it's really kind of i think twofold the you know so the title essay which is really the new piece of the content in the book the the never normal essay kind of came from two seeds one was you know everybody kind of running around you know kind of saying hey the old normal is gone what will the new normal be as if we're going to go back to some state of stability um and kind of ignoring the reality that i believe <laughs> the reality that um, the, you know, kind of the unexpected is the only thing we can expect at this point, right? That, you know, we're not going to come out the other end of the pandemic, uh, and kind of go back to the way things were, or to some slightly different version of the way things were, um, and that, you know, kind of from my perspective, kind of prodding people to think about this idea of a never normal, right? We can't expect certainty, stability. We need to be prepared to change at a moment's notice at any given time personally, but even you know, certainly professionally and most importantly, organizationally for our companies uh, to kind of reimagine what is an organization where in, a, in an age where an organization needs to constantly be ready for change. The other thing that sort of the other seed was as I started to look at the kinds of things that were happening as this pandemic hit, right, and organizations all of a sudden had this sort of sudden dramatic acceleration in their digital agendas. And in some cases, I mean, I wouldn't call getting a bunch of your employees onto Zoom for eight hours a day a digital transformation per se, Um, but learning how to work as a remote workforce is a component of a digital transformation certainly um but we've also obviously seen organizations shift from physical to e-commerce or um start to you know almost by necessity radically reimagine supply chains that were breaking down post-pandemic um and it kind of got me thinking that well wait a second um you know, all of this furor around digital transformation that has been you know, the frothy, you know, oh my God, we've got to do this. There's an urgency is almost like, it's almost been, even though it's how I've made my living, <laughs> right? um, it's almost been a, you know, it's almost a, in some ways, almost a sort of a sign of how organizations have failed to transform over the much longer period of time uh, during which digital has Uh, kind of been signaling, hey guys, it's time to evolve, right? You know, Amazon founded in 1994 in 2020, you know, we've seen the articles about retailers stuck with mountains of unsold inventory in their physical locations or in their warehouses. How is that possible? You've had since 1994 to transform to a digital first retailer? How did, why did you wait until a pandemic to then discover you weren't ready? Um, You know, so it's kind of this idea of like, kind of the way you were before wasn't normal. In fact, in many ways it was wrong uh, and outdated, outmoded a relic of the industrial era. Um, And now we're entering this new never normal um, in which you're gonna need to be able to make these changes more quickly and effectively. So that was the idea behind the book, which resulted in that a title essay. And then I said, okay, now what do I kind of wrap this with? Um, because to your point, it's, you know, crazy times, right? And um, in the midst of this pandemic, how do you write a book? And I know you've been successfully pecking away in the background, writing book after book after book. Um, but um, how do you balance work and family and, you know, health and all of these things and still get a book out? Um, and as I looked back at the you know, I don't want to be patting myself back on the back necessarily, but if I, as I looked back at the things I've been writing about since my first book, Micro Marketing, as I moved away from marketing more into business strategy and innovation and transformation, you know, I kind of looked at it and said, wow, there's actually a number of pieces here that if you kind of pull them out of their moment in time, strip away some of the dated references and put them within context of one another, kind of make for a little bit of a... Um, sort of, I wouldn't say a manual, but almost a sort of repository of these sort of inspirational, kind of um, provocative ideas about how leaders need to think differently about leading in the modern world. Um, so, you know, so that's where this sort of as it came together, it was like some new content with 15 existing essays cleaned up and recontextualized to kind of you know, kind of tell the story of like, you know, of kind of like, you know, why you sort of status quo is, you know, is the most dangerous thing that we can kind of, you know, you know, to protecting the status quo is like the worst thing a leader can do in an organization today. And it kind of goes to this, I, you know, again, back to this idea of, you know, had more leaders kind of thought about the things that I was saying. And I'm not mean like me, 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 but I look at something I wrote in like said, say 2012. And I'm like, wait, I said that in 2012 and now people are saying it again as if it's brand new because COVID just happened. Um, and my point isn't to say, wow, look at this guy, he's got this sort of presence and has, you know, kind of, he saw the future, but more like these are ideas that have been around for a long time. And I'm not the only one who's been saying them. You've been saying things, That all of a sudden could come into this stark relief in a post-pandemic world and become even more relevant than they were before. I'll shut up now.
0: No, that's good. And having looked at the those fifteen articles, it was interesting that so many of them have been written years before. I mean, years in the last eight years, and and so there's a sort of a suggested wisdom to them at some level, as opposed to a spontaneous "Oh my God!" urgentness to them, and. Your subtitle, of course, is for leaders who i sub i paraphrase who are who don't want to stick to the status quo question for you feeling though, is if is it only an acceleration or has there been material change? in other words, we've just been changing, changing, changing oh, instead of doing change every once year it's now every fourteen seconds, that's an acceleration. Mm-hmm. but has there been any fundamental change that's happened out of this pandemic period that you see companies need to be taking on board?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly it's both. I mean, the acceleration is undeniable and, you know, the acceleration was, you know, I I talk a lot in my speeches and, you know, in a lot of, in my work, and I'm sure you do too, about the reality of exponential change, right? And, before this, we had to explain that to people. And then we saw, you know, kind of what an exponentially growing, you know, virus, you know, kind of toll looks like around the world. Um, but, um, you know, so clearly, you know, there's the acceleration factor, um, but it isn't just faster, right. It is a change in direction. It's speed and direction, right. Velocity. Right? Um, you know, so I think that, you know, what's happened, you know, You know, it's hard for me to actually say how many of these things are net new to the post-pandemic world versus um, kind of have moved from the edges pre-pandemic closer to the center, whether that's acceleration or something else. Um, But I think clearly... um, like a move to remote work is in many ways an acceleration. Um, The extent to which it will force organizations to rethink their structure, to reimagine, you know, kind of what it's like to lead, like to lead by influence more so than by authority. Um, The extent to which it's opening up conversations around the nature of work. Um, and what is the value of a human worker in an age where more and more work can be done by by machines and in which many, at least some, I'll say many is probably an overstatement, but at least some organizations have seen this as an opportunity to reduce workforce permanently. Um, Even things like the questions that are coming to the forefront now, and, you know, again, which are not They were happening before, but are happening, I feel, in a much more significant way now around – Sort of the nature of capitalism, um, and in good, bad, or otherwise, I'm not trying to come down on one side or other of the argument. But certainly, plenty of conversation, even at the level of the World Economic Forum, about reimagining capitalism and how um, it may or may not be a sustainable model in its current form in this new world. Um, you know, accelerating conversations around things like basic income and you know healthcare and wellness and all of these things that. It will require fundamental changes. They're not going to be solved simply by doing things faster. Um, so I think it's both.
0: My observation is that it's certainly, uh, like you say, there's an acceleration component, accentuation. The accentuation piece that I feel is this, this need to believe that I'm doing something that matters. Mm-hmm. That has existed for a certain select few before. Truly, what truly matters. Like an NGO kind of, it matters for the world. So if I'm selling soaps and suds, or I'm selling secondhand cars, or whatever, what is it about that that truly matters? And I feel like there's been, you, you said like everything is running to the center like a black hole. I feel like there's been a vortex experience to that where people are actually thinking, why was I bothering to commute two hours to work? Why did I like, why was I working for that dick of a boss? Right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. When I
0: could be hanging out with my family, spending time with my five and 16 year old, walking my dog, loving my life. And and so there's that point. The the other point
1: though. Yep, absolutely. Yep.
0: The other point is that we're about to go into a tailspin as far as the economy is concerned. We have not we have no idea, as far as I'm concerned.
1: I agree, that's the never normal, and, right?
0: <laughs> that's right, and we are about to hit a, a massive drop, where finally when these firings, cost-cutting maneuvers are gonna take stock, you're gonna end up with much larger structural unemployment. And the difficulty of keeping a job will then be back on the docket. So as opposed to doing what matters, oh shit, I need a job. And I think that's also we're gonna start getting out of some comfort zones as far as oh, well, I no, I'm not gonna do that. Well, damn straight you are because you know you work for me. So I kind of feel those two yeah. components. Yeah. What do you think?
1: That's absolutely a hundred percent. And you know, I think that. Yeah. I mean, mean, it's hard for me to even say anything else in regard to that, because, because I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's it's both trend and counter trend in a way. Right. That, you know, it's nice to believe that we're heading towards a world where everyone kind of you know we jettison the rote, the routine we let the machines take care of that and we all realize our true purpose and creativity and you know we live in a world where our empathy is our most you know valuable skill and we you know and we spend more time at home doing xyz and i can make the rules i'm the employee i'm the valuable asset to the organization but you're absolutely right the more economic uncertainty we see, and I agree with you, we're about to, you know, what it will look like, who knows, but we're certainly not going back to the good old days of the reliable industrial economy, right? Um, you know, there will be systemic unemployment, you know, not only because of the economic uncertainty, but because of accelerating technological change, right? And our inability by and large, as human beings, to keep up with that change and an unwillingness in many cases of people to upskill, reskill, unlearn, relearn. Right? Um, you know, still kind of think, well, I'm a whatever. You know, I'm a, I'm an X, and I will continue to do X. Well, what do you do when a machine does X better than you do? You know, <laughs> um, you know, and you know, I think that that's the dark side of all of this. That there will, in fact, be this push and pull, right? I'm you know, I'm the all-empowered employee. It's the future of work, you know, bow to me. And then the boss going, well, actually you need this job, buddy. <laughs> and, you know, you know, it's it's a weird transitional time now, right? Um, you know, and I think it will inevitably benefit some far more than it benefits others and hurt others far more than it hurts some. But I think everyone's going to feel the The brunt of it in some way, shape or form. And I think everyone needs to be thinking about how do I remain flexible, not just in my skill set and how I think about work, but also my mindset. What am I willing to do? Um, you know, am I going to stick to my guns and, you know, kind of shout purpose from the rooftops? Or am I going to roll up my sleeves and do a job I hate for the next 10 years because the economy is so screwed and I have no choice but to earn a living?
0: Amongst the interesting I I suspect you it was quite a a hard task at times to select between all the things you've written. But there are some things that I, I love to like connect dots. And, yeah. and I looked at them, and, and so one of them was, like, you got to code, so, or you should learn about coding to be more accurate as you write. And at the same time, you also say you've got to be more human. And i like, oh, that seems like a, an opposite kind of proposition. And the thing you, you mentioned in being more human is the opportunity to converse, to have conversation. And as you know, that's a topic that I like dearly. And I'm wondering if you could comment that in light of speaking, events, and online events. How do you think that's going to evolve?
1: Um, from the standpoint of events specifically? <laughs> well, so from
0: the ability to have conversations yeah. In, yeah. in business, I mean, if, that's, yeah. if that's what we want.
1: Got it. Got it. Yes. So, um, first of all, I want to applaud you for reading. I mean, it's a quick book, obviously, as you know, it's an easy read, but reading it deeply enough to see the kinds of connections I was looking to, you know, the dots I was looking to connect, even among... And in some cases to highlight seemingly disparate ideas that I may have, you know, I may have held an opinion at one point and changed my opinion. But if I put them next to each other, you go, Oh, well, these things kind of work together or don't, or I can see how time changed the way he thinks. Um, You know, and I also tend to do a lot of kind of like power of and kind of stuff. Like, it's not just, we need to be more technical. It's also, we need to be more human. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. And I agree with
1: Whatever else. Um, But, um, You know, I think it's interesting. I mean, we have, on the one hand, more opportunity for more. I don't want to call it conversation more. um, More opportunity for more, more opportunities to say more things (laughs) than we've ever had before. Right. Um, But I also feel like we are struggling a little bit to make the conversations deep and meaningful and productive, um, especially now that everyone's remote. Right. Um, you know, I think that's an interesting, you know, how it plays out who knows, but I think it's an interesting challenge and struggle, you know, to kind of, you know, I think about, you know, you know, even before all of this, right. You know, with my 16 year old where, you know, every conversation happens over text right and it's short it's succinct it's you know like even if she's in the same house she's texting me i'm like you're on the other side of the couch why are you texting me um just that she has a different mode of communicating and um you know and is that a conversation or is it just a one-way broadcast of somebody's needs or demands or wishes or opinions or whatever and of course that's happening everywhere on every podcast webcast video etc 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 um i think in a lot of ways, you know, kind of the, the mad rush to zoom meetings, right. you know, I'm, you know, with clients, I feel like some days I've got 10 hours of back to back zoom meetings. Um, then you of course hear all the stuff now about zoom fatigue and whatever and whatnot, but it's like putting aside the fact you have to put your makeup on and make sure you look you know, your absolute best and fix my hair and all that. Um, <laughs> You know, kind of like this staring at faces and talking at one another seems to become like the, it's like the primary mode of having meetings. And I'm finding that people get very uncomfortable even when they're forced to collaborate in the ways they would have collaborated in the real world, right? Um, Despite the best technologies around virtual whiteboarding or whatever, I think it's still very different to be at a whiteboard with a marker (laughs) Um, and, you know, and interacting in the real world. I'm not trying to sound like a Luddite, like this technology stuff is, you know, kind of, Ooh, I don't like that. I want to go back to the mimeograph machine. Uh, But, you know, I think it's, it's this sort of you know, saying more but actually connecting less um, by, by the very fact that we are more connected than we've ever been. It's a weird paradox, I think. What do you think?
0: Well, amongst the observations I've made and the people I've been listening to, one of them was this PS music teacher in Manhattan who said a remarkable thing. He's, he teaches a choir, and he said, "I have never seen my students less, but known them better."
1: Hmm.
0: And and so that's an interesting piece because rather than just sort of get to work, you can't just start on the task without a little question: "How you doing?" And it's it's not like a Brooklyn, "How you doing?" It's a so, Greg. How do you feel? And there's a, there's a there's a level of integrity or at least a desire for a real answer, an openness for a real answer, as opposed to yeah, fine you. And so that that's one one side of it. The other side, as you say, is this Zoom fatigue and the difference between a video and an audio, and maybe the the need for to develop trust in in that when we're working remotely, we're no longer I spy and seeing you. So you have to do things. You have to allow for people to have agency. There's going to be a, a learning of how to give autonomy to people and to develop trust between each other. So those are some of the mm-hmm. things that I'm seeing.
1: Yeah. yeah. There's definitely that trust gap now. I know some people who, um, Work in relatively traditional large organizations, like you've done in your past, I've done in my past, right? Where there's a lot of hierarchy and systems and rules and regulations and policy and procedure. Where in the real world, it was a very much a kind of company that I mean, it sounds like a relic of the bygone days, but you know, <laughs> the the kind of company where it's like you're here at nine, you leave at five, and you have. 30 minutes to go find your lunch um which you'll eat at your desk thank you um and now that like she's gone you know this person i'm thinking of in particular now that she's worked remote it you know the company went through this you know kind of awkward transition phase of well we're going to have stand-up meetings at eight forty five and five fifteen. so i know you're truly working at both ends of the day and i'm going to check in on you and if you don't answer then i'm going to assume you're not doing work and, and it was like this very like well you know kind of almost cuts against the very nature of um kind of remote <laughs> um you know and i i liked your insight you know from the music teacher um about knowing people better i i don't know that that happens all the time everywhere
0: well i think um, that's where empathy and ability to right. listen yeah comes in. Um, and to ask if you ask questions and you and you wait for the answer
1: yeah <laughs> yeah not just wait for your next chance to speak um but, you know, it's like, I mean, you know, on the one hand, it's almost like even seeing the person's real world. I'm waving my arms as if your listeners can see me, but I know you can, um, you know, and like, but waving, you know, kind of like letting, seeing a person's real world and, you know, not just their Zoom background or their office, which looks like every other office in the world. And, you know, going, oh, is that your son? How old is he? And, you know, the kid pops, you know, where is I mean, you remember a couple of years ago the the historian or whatever he was being interviewed on BBC when the baby kind of came right where it was like this shocking moment oh my god the baby walking! and now it's like people having business meetings bouncing babies on their laps and all of that um, does create that kind of a way to know but you need to commit to knowing Um, and I don't know that everybody in business has made that commitment.
0: (laughs) Well I I, I, certainly. fundamental piece of my new book about this idea of committing to know each other. The area I wanted to ask you about was the small talk and sort of difference between intentional discussion in a Zoom opening to the coincidental chat that we might have at a water cooler or at taking a cigarette together when we are not working remotely. And I was wondering, do you have any ideas as to if that's really important for developing trust and relationships and how do we do differently when we're doing remote work?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it is important. I'm, I'm assuming you would agree. (laughs) Um, And I mean, part of it I think is, making the time and space for that kind of interaction. Um, I mean, we're seeing, I mean, some of it almost sounds silly in ways, but I know somebody whose company does, uh, you know, every couple of weeks does a remote wine tasting for employees, right? Not the whole company, obviously, but for people on a given team, you know, they, each of them gets a little kit with little wine vials and there's a sommelier that leads them through. So they, you know, have these kind of, pre-planned social engagements that kind of aim to replicate the opportunity you have to sit around a water cooler or a lunch table or whatever and interact around some context other than what's the next step in the current project. And I think some of that stuff helps, Um, you know, and I think, you know, what, what seems not to happen so much in my opinion is after you get over the, kind of initial few, you know, kind of handful of Zoom meetings within a team. I've definitely seen when I've worked with clients, um, sometimes the clients stop asking the how are you or like the small talk is relegated to the first couple of minutes while you're waiting for everybody's face to pop up. And as soon as the seventh person shows up, it's like, okay, we have a quorum back to business, Um, you know, and it almost becomes awkward in some ways to interject something that's off agenda in the middle of that meeting. And um, I mean, that may be true even in the kind of the world of physical business anyway, but um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's, you know, I think for people leading teams, working in teams, leading meetings with teams, I think it comes down to, kind of learning new skills for, you know, that make room for this kind of interaction and engagement, you know, like, I mean, I don't know what else to say about it. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, one of the things I have observed in, in the kind of events space is either they are shitty, boring and you can't wait or you'll get distracted by the next easiest notification, or there's a, an intentional work that allows for kind of a little craziness, a little zaniness, a little creativity. And I have for reference an example. I was invited to speak at a conference online with a group of really interesting CEOs. And, and what they did is like you were saying with your wine tasters, they actually sent everybody a little kit of cocktail mixes. And, and in, at the end of the event, they brought on a, a, a mixologist and they they gave us some tips and tools how to wasn't actually in the event at the end it was in the middle, so mm-hmm. you got to learn to make a make a, a drink like a really funky little thing and then by the way it had really fun great ingredients you make your drink mix it da, 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 and then you're drinking and then you continue on the meeting, and and somehow time just passed naturally, as mm-hmm. opposed to oh my god another thing on Zoom, so right, I, yeah. I feel like there's an opportunity to to shake up how events in business contexts can be made.
1: Absolutely. Events for sure. And you're right. I mean, most of them are God awful. Um, (laughs) It's either, a too literal translation of physical events events with no sort of acknowledgement or creativity around how can a virtual event be different or not enough acknowledgement of what makes a physical event special. Right. It's, and it's the in-between that really, you know, is where the magic happens in a, in a lot of ways. Like, um, you know, and I, what you're describing there, um, the company I'm thinking of that I did an event, I was actually the MC for the event. I wasn't keynoting. Um, but I like MC'd, I kind of did a fireside chat with the keynote or like did a bunch of things throughout the course of this two day event. And they had, you know, 3000 or so attendees in total in and out. And, um, And like I saw them, you know, they did things like, you know, kind of planned yoga breaks. Um, They called like, you know, move more sessions where in between two, you kind of, you know, straight ahead, talking head type presentations, people had to turn on their cameras, get up and like dance to the music or whatever, which I'm sure was horrifying for a lot of the attendees. But they were doing things to try to break down those barriers, Um, you know, and then even, you know, I did an event. Last week, I guess, where, um, you know, where you kind of have these different new and different modalities. My presentation was pre-recorded but during my pre-recorded presentation, I was live in the chat room. um, So I knew like in my presentation, I would put a bunch of prompts in, right? So, hey, join me in the chat room. I'm there right now. You know, ask your questions or, hey, I'm seeing this in the world. What are you seeing in your own business? Um, Let us know in the chat room. So I would, you know, so people were like truly interacting, engaging with each other without, disengaging from the content. If you didn't hear my question, you couldn't answer it, right? Or if, you know, you didn't know what the other 30 people were talking about, you couldn't participate and you only knew if you heard what I was talking about. So it was like these very different modalities, right? Where if you were standing on a stage at a conference, uh, first of all, you would truly be live, right? Um, and you might have a Q&A session um, and you might have some interactive components of like everybody raise your hand if blah, 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 or, you know, shout out X, Y, or Z. Um, but you certainly couldn't have an in-depth conversation with a group of people while you're also yapping from the stage in front of PowerPoint slides. So I think that's part of it too, is how do you kind of rethink within the context of events you know, what is an event? What is the right level of interaction? How do you keep people engaged in the content, but also create a forum for them to engage with one another and with the so-called experts? Um, you know, so it's all, I think, you know, my experience is every single event I've been asked to do since we've gone full virtual, has been very different. Like there's no rule book right now or playbook right now. Um, You know, and um, it's interesting to see the experimentation. And from, I think, where you sit or I sit, where we do multiples, to kind of, you know, kind of going, into, the, going into, go into these things and be like, hmm, are you sure you want to do it that way? You know, I just did one and that didn't work. Or uh, we tried that and here's a way to improve upon it. Or here's something you might not have thought of. Does your platform allow this? Um, and, you know, really kind of start to, you know, in a lot of ways, it's almost like we're inventing the new world of events together absolutely
0: of course at some
1: point we will go back to the real world at least to some extent but
0: (laughs) and i think that we can take some of these things back into that real world absolutely my i did this post podcast festival and with somewhat brazen effort we brought tom morley the drummer for scritti polity to make us all move and uh, i would have to say almost with embarrassment it was the most uh, enjoyed memorable piece of the entire <laughs> event uh, no no dissing meant of everyone else it's more a, a feature of how Tom Morley is such a stand-up a participant and, and great animator a couple more questions Greg before I get let you I'll go first of all Zeg I, I'm you know I'm a linguist and so I saw that and and uh, so Zeg uh, which means the day after tomorrow in Georgian want to know how you came up with it when when did you sort of because I don't speak Georgian. I had to look it up. There are actually two words for it in, in Georgian um, that I found. Um, but how did you come across Zeg?
1: Oh, Lord, it was so long ago. Um, but I actually think it was one of these weird things where it was like on... I don't know if it was like a weird word of the day kind of thing, or if it was something of like words that exist in one language, but not others on some, one of those, like, you know, kind of like, um, you know, like, uh, you know, kind Should of a, a weird, question. you know, some website kind of, you know, some blogger going, here's 10 words that we don't have in English or whatever. And I was like, wow, that's like, you know, and that's kind of like led me to this idea of, well, wait a second, you know, why aren't we thinking about in business the day after tomorrow? Um, maybe people are more now, <laughs> but or maybe not. We're, we can barely think about today. Um, well, so but I mean, I, I kind of like that. As in general, it's kind of like these kind of weird, like offbeat things, you know, like Zeg, like what's the implication of that? Why should we be thinking this way? Um, Is there a relevance to business? You know, back in my old days when I was focused more on marketing back before micro marketing, you know before i wrote that and got sick of marketing altogether um you know i would like have these weird like i would write these weird posts like you know you know whatever like you know five marketing lessons from the black eyed peas like you know or something like that where it's like you know like i would pull some weird lyric and say, what if we, how do we apply this the sentiment in this lyric to some business thing um so i kind of like that kind of weirdness Well, for whatever you can reason
0: imagine. i certainly do so the dots that I connected, because um, Georgians are are extremely well known for their toasts, and for telling stories, which is something else another chapter title telling stories. And just for the record, uh, the word exists in French and Japanese. Ah, it does. Uh, so in French it's le lendemain, and in Japanese is yokojitsu uh but in it's i couldn't find it any other languages that i am familiar with that um so congrats for bringing that up um great in the interest of time tell us um about how people can follow you get your book and uh and Tell us any other lasting thoughts for us to go away. With.
1: Well, I don't know about lasting thoughts, but they can, of course, find me at gregverdino.com. Anything that is a social network, if I'm on it, I'm Greg Verdino. Are you on TikTok? Okay.
0: Are you on TikTok? I am
1: I'm am not on TikTok. Uh although my daughter has occasionally forced me to appear on her TikTok, I do uh-huh. not have my own TikTok account. Um and do and know. you should feel lucky for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um the uh and the book is available, you know, the wherever books are available um online. Um it is print on demand. I decided to self-publish to, for speed. Um uh-huh. And it's kind of a weird book to try to get published. But anyway, um, the um, you know, so it's available on Amazon or whatever Amazon competitor you like to buy your print books from. Uh, at the moment, it is available in Kindle only. Um, so that way I can make it available for free to folks who are on Kindle Unlimited and whatnot. Nice. So if I you're interested. Up little,
0: never normal home? and all the show notes as usual. Greg, thanks for coming on the show.
1: All right, sir. Thank you.
2: be alive.